We normally have all of our ducks in a row because we meet during the week, and this was one of those weeks when we didn't have office hours. Nothing was routine. I guess you all remember this week, right? So I apologize for that. All right, will you pray with me this morning? Gracious and holy God, we give you thanks that we enter into this space expecting to meet you, to greet you. And so as we worship and we listen, may the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so how many of you have watched water boil? Watched water come to a boil. I did that this week because I guess that's what you do when you're uh, isolated from a big old uh, ice storm, snowstorm, whatever it was. Yes, in some places you had to do it. That's correct. So I watched, I put some water on the boil and I was standing there thinking about the world, obviously, and then I began to pay attention to what was going on in that pot. And I saw that as the heat arised, it was interesting, the little bubbles form on the bottom of the pot. And I expected them to take a path straight up, but that was not how it worked. In fact, the, the bubbles went to the edge of the pot and rolled up the side early in the boiling process. It wasn't until the heat was hot enough that the bubbles actually popped up to the surface and then one and then another and then another and then another and then pretty soon the water was rolling <coughs> and boiling. I spent the work the, this week thinking about the last year. So I want all of us to take a little trip with me back over the last year. This is a milestone. It was last year on Ash Wednesday when we knew that there was this pandemic, but it seemed someplace else. And so we worshiped on Ash Wednesday, we worshiped on the first Sunday in Lent, and we worshiped on the second Sunday in Lent, and then all of a sudden, everything changed. Our world changed. We woke up and we shut down. And all of a sudden, we all had a common enemy. This enemy that we didn't understand, we had no real way to combat it, and so it threw all of us into a state of chaos. What we thought would only be a couple of weeks, that we would close the doors for just a couple of weeks and stay safe, actually went on and on and on and became an entire year filled with rules limitations, eventually conflict, eventually uh, discouragement, global crises and disasters, both politically, socially, culturally, and economically. People who study these things that say that actually every point of conflict that we experience this year uncovered a hurt and a pain that was already there, and we would have eventually experienced it. But because of the circumstances under which we were like that boiling water, rather than the bubbles going up to the side occasionally and popping their heads, they began to roll right in the middle of all that we understood the world to do. We eventually learned to lean into this new world Things became more commonplace for us. We don't like wearing masks, but we tolerate them. 
and they become more commonplace. Worshiping online became something we could not even imagine one year ago. It didn't even enter our imagination as the Decatur Methodist family. But because of people who are smarter than we, than I am, and because of the resources that we were able to have in this building and also over in the MAC, we learned how to worship online. And here we are, one year later. Ash Wednesday and Lent season is upon us, and we thought we would do Ash Wednesday maybe a little different, but guess what? One more experience of chaos. A winter storm that actually has a name, Yuri. A winter storm of historic proportions and even our creative, innovative way of doing Ash Wednesday had to be waylaid. So friends, this is not the first time in human history that the world has experienced these things. We all recall that as this was starting, there was word on the, on the scene about the flu epidemic of the early 20th century we read about bubonic plague and the black plague and even the plagues of Egypt. They're in the Bible. We have all seen natural disasters, natural disasters like other storms, Hurricane Katrina or the tsunami of 2004 in Indonesia that in a matter of hours killed thousands and thousands of people. The 1989, I had to remember this, the 1989 San Francisco earthquake that took us all by surprise, except for those of you who are young enough not to have remembered that. There was a great earthquake in Antioch in the first century that Paul had to navigate with his early churches, and then the great flood of the Bible, another biblical announcement of disasters. It's not the first time we have seen these things in our human existence, but it might be the first time we, in this generation, have experienced those things. And so it warrants for us a time to stop and reflect. Ricky, this week, during his Ash Wednesday uh, a, a message, he said that Lent is a time of sacrifice. It's a time of giving up something in order to recall God's sacrifice for us through Jesus. But he says that when we give something up, whether we decide not to eat chocolate for 40 days or, or we give up that precious cup of Starbucks coffee, it creates within us an empty space. And in that empty space, we are invited to fill it with God. And often what we can do to invite God into that empty space is to redirect that which we give up. So if you give up your Starbucks coffee, use those same funds to do something good, like buy food for your neighbors, make a donation to Warm or other ministries in the community. This last week, I saw a meme on one of our Facebook posts for uh, the clergy of the, North, uh, of the North Texas Annual Conference, and it, it, it was this thing that says, we've already endured a full year of Lenten deprivations. What's left for us to give up? 
right? And then I was reading the comments on it, and uh, a young pastor named Nathan Presley wrote this. He says, or what are we still refusing to give up or let go of? And I thought that was pretty reflective. This year, our work in the Lenten season is to declutter our hearts, to prepare them for a deeper relationship with God who loves us and adores us. And we'll be taking a look during this Lenten worship series at how God loves us, specifically through the promises of the Bible, of the biblical narrative, where God makes these promises to be our God and hold us as God's people. It is my hope that as each of us decide to take on some kind of Lenten practice, either, either through study or through uh, sacrifice of some sort, that you will discover a deeper appreciation for the love that this God, this God who loves us and created us, has for us. And how this God risked all kinds of things just to be in relationship with us. So we start today with a flood story, not a frozen tundra, bursting the pipes kind of flood story, but a flood story of epic proportions. We're not going to read the whole flood story because in Genesis it occupies two whole chapters, which is pretty precious in the book of Genesis to give that much to one story. But what we remember from our childhood's understanding of the story of Noah and the ark and the rainbow is that God had created this world and the world had, like humans do, become rather corrupt. They were mean and ugly and despiteful towards one another. They were out for their own gain rather than the goodness of one another. And so as God looks across all of creation, God's very heart is broken. But God finds one person, one redeeming person, and he asks him to do what might seem impossible. Build an ark. He says, build this ark and in it put your family and an assortment of animals because I am going to bring the rains. And we know the story. We remember the story that was uh, told many times in all kinds of funny ways about God talking to Noah and telling him how, how big the ark should be, what kinds of animals to bring in there. But... Noah obeys, and he builds this ark, and eventually the heavens open up, and the scripture tells us the earth busts forth this water, and it sweeps over all the land and takes out every living flesh except those who are in the ark. For 40 days and 40 nights, it rains. We've all experienced the rainy season. We get tired of it. For 40 days and 40 nights, it rains, and for another 180 days, the Bible tells us the ark is pitched to and fro in this water because the waters don't recede. We don't know how long they are pitching to and fro, but eventually the ark lands on dry land, and Noah and his family and all the animals leave the ark. And it is at this time that we hear God speak again to Noah. 
and God offers the very first covenant of the biblical narrative. It is found in Genesis 9, 8 through 17. Let's read that this morning. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So nothing surprises us about this story, really. Even the part where God looks across humanity and is so so discouraged at what we have become, we are not even surprised that God decides to start over in the world. We're not even surprised that God, though, stops from destroying all of us, eradicating all humankind and all animals, because we know God to be a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But what might surprise us is the length that God goes to to save us from our own sure destruction. So let me explain. The ancients um, understood a covenant as a legal binding contract between two parties, and it puts these two partners, these two parties, on a new legal basis. And, and so we notice at very first is in this story is that God enters into this covenant, this new basis of understanding. And God is the one that does the work. God offers the covenant. Noah says nothing. Noah, we're not even sure Noah's listening other than the scripture says God said to Noah. God says, Noah says nothing, and so it's a story about God. It may be a story about God's regret, but not about God's anger, because God refused to give up on us. God refused to give up on us. Instead, God's own broken heart is because we've turned away. So God makes the first move. 
realizing that we can't. There is something that is preventing us from making that first move, and so God makes that first move. God makes his covenant with Noah and all the living creatures. It's God's covenant. Don't you listen to the language. It says, I will remember. When I set my bow in the sky, I will see it. It's God's covenant with us. So he puts this sign, this bow, if you will, in the clouds. And so this bow in Hebrew is actually can be translated more closely to a weapon, not a rainbow as we translate it today, but a weapon. In fact, if you look at the psalmist, they write about this weapon in uh, the Psalm 7 by saying that the lightning bolts are arrows that come from God's mighty bow on the earth. So God sets this weapon, almost sets aside his way of destruction. He sets it in the clouds as a covenant sign. Now let's talk about covenant signs because covenant signs are that which seals that agreement. It signifies the faithfulness of the covenant maker and serves as a reminder of the covenant obligations. The most, in most covenants, the signs are something that we take on. Circumcision. There is the covenant of wearing a, a prayer garment that has multiple um, strings on it that guides the faithful through their prayers. There is a, a, a covenant sign, a mark of baptism that you and I wear in our own faith story. There is a covenant of wearing and covering one's head when they're in the presence of God. Even the covenant of placing the ashes on the back of your hand or on your forehead become these signs that, that help us remember our obligation to God. But in this case, it is God who makes the sign by setting God's bow in the clouds, and it is God's obligation to us. Now think about this. In this one story, God is no longer simply creator. Creator who has the ability to create and destroy and start over, but God enters a new relationship with us, one as protector. And when God enters into this relationship as protector, God bounds himself to humanity by investing in our very fate. Because if we fail, God fails. So God becomes very vulnerable in this first covenant. God shares God's vulnerability with us. We see this in God's most selfless act in the vulnerability of Jesus. The first century Christians sang a hymn, a Christology hymn that talked about how vulnerable God became in Jesus. Paul picks up that him and places it in the letter to the Philippians, and it says this, Though Jesus was in the form of God, Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but instead emptied himself and became human and obedient to the de point of death, even death on the cross. That's the kind of God that we serve. 
That's the kind of God who is willing to set God's bow in the sky as a sign of self-limiting to be not only our creator but also our protector. So this early Genesis story is the story of the first covenant and it's made and sealed by God to demonstrate God's concern for all living creation. But it also invites us and pulls us into the Lenten season. This is the Genesis passage out of our Lenten lectionary. It pulls us into this season to remind us of the ultimate selfless act of love. Love of God through the passion of Jesus Christ. We're about to enter into 40 days, not counting Sundays, 40 days in this Lenten journey. It's a part of our Christian calendar. For some of us, it's felt like over a year that we've been on this Lenten kind of journey. For Jesus, it was 33 years on that journey. But it is a journey that is filled with signs. If you open the Gospel of John, you will see that Jesus performs sign after sign. That's the language that the evangelist uses. It's a sign of God's faithful and steadfast promises. So however we enter into our Lenten journey, into our self-emptying during these 40 days, I am hoping that we can remember that it is the first sign of decluttering our hearts in order to make room for a deeper relationship with Jesus. Let us journey in the faith and understanding that our God is one who risks vulnerability by placing his bow in the clouds to be our protector. This is our sign. Thanks be to God. Amen.